0: Now, I've, this is my third message this week, and, and so uh, I, I did Wednesday night, and then I had my message for my niece's wedding on Friday. By the way, you can start now, and uh, didn't know if he saw that, but uh, the Lord just, I, I, I struggled with what to preach today, and uh, the Lord's just ordained it the way that he opened up his word this morning when I came and uh, began to think about what he wanted to express. I want to today, you know, sometimes you get up and you preach and you know that there's three, four, five people that you definitely know need to hear whatever God's given you to preach. But this is one of those 100 percenters. This is for all of us today and it has seeped to the top of what i sense going on in the spirit and so i'm i'm going to give you a diagnosis today and then i'm going to give you the answer to it because i want to if you would turn to psalm 100 psalm 100 And I'm going to come at this a little different than you might normally hear somebody preach from this passage of Scripture. I'm reading from the English Standard, and you can watch it on the screen if you don't have your Bibles. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. to all generations. Everybody say, I'm part of the all. All generations. Now, I've just given you the answer. Now I'm going to give you the diagnosis, and then we'll tie it all together. I want to speak on overcoming spiritual PTSD. Overcoming spiritual post-traumatic stress Disorder. There is a principle in this psalm that lets us know how we are to enter into his presence. And it is predicated on our action. Some people say, well, how do I get into the presence of God? It's predicated upon our action. Our actions determine how we overcome our flesh and the devil's obstacles that has been placed in our way. I am, uh, I, I am, I won't say I'm a history buff, but I love reading about history. And I like reading about the different wars and the things that have gone on And here's the one thing that I have determined, and and it's simply this. It doesn't matter what rank you are in, what branch you are, wherever you're at, you're going to come out of a war with PTSD. Everybody will. And uh, it's how you manage the PTSD that makes the difference in life. Okay? And so when I'm preaching today, please don't misunderstand me, I'm not minimizing what PTSD is. It is one of the worst things that people can deal with, and it doesn't just need to be military, it's everybody. But here's what I do believe. I believe that every single person in here is dealing with spiritual PTSD. Because post-traumatic stress disorder occurs when a person has been exposed to a traumatic experience or injury. How many have ever had a traumatic experience in life? All of us have. And when you are confronted or, uh, with an event that involves a threatened or actual death or serious injury. Now, let me just tell you, that applies to all of us because Romans chapter 3 verse 23 says the wages of sin is death. We've all experienced at some point in time because we've all fallen short of the glory of God and so we have all at some point have faced a concept of death or injury. Some of us have felt it emotionally, some of us have felt it mentally, some of us have felt it physically. But all of us at some point or another have experienced a traumatic situation that whether you recognize it or not, a PTSD has settled into the back of your spirit or into the back of your mind and the devil just waits for the next opportunity to let that spring forth in you. You see, here are some of the symptoms of post-traumatic stress disorder. You feel upset by things that remind you of the past. Can I just tell you, we have preached in this church, and I believe it to this day, that Paul expressly tells us to forget the things which are behind us and press to the things that are forward. And when we do that, however, we still have a past. Just because we're not concentrating on it doesn't mean it's not there. Just because we're new creatures in Christ doesn't mean that our memory can't go back to what we were. And so what the enemy does is when something comes to the fore, when you confront something or something comes against you, he immediately brings back a memory of your past. Now intellectually, you know your past isn't any longer and Jesus has you and you're moving forward in him, but he begins to play mind games with you and you begin to call up the things of the, and it may not even be the event that you're dealing with, but it may be the PTSD that's there, that's ready to spring up, and because our flesh is so weak, it takes in it and it begins to embrace it, and then we begin to think about it, and before too long, that thing that was simply taken care of already has now become a stronghold in our flesh. And what we really struggle with is not so much the enemy, it's what the enemy has allowed our flesh to absorb and become that stronghold. And as a newborn believer, what we're fighting against is something that the adversary has allowed our flesh to spring up, and it's the reaction, if you will, it's the post-traumatic stress of what's happened in your past. It's the reason why the enemy understands what he can mess with you about. Because he knows where the seed of what's happened is planted. Okay? Just follow me for a little bit. Some of you are looking at me with blank faces like, what in the world are you talking about? Have you ever felt upset about something that you hadn't even thought of for 50 years? That's a sign of PTSD. We just haven't classified that because we have left PTSD to the military, to somebody that deals with some traumatic, traumatic thing. Listen, we've all got it somewhere in us. And here's the the other thing that I have learned through just reading and studying is that nobody gets over PTSD. They only learn how to live with it. Somebody here today needs to understand that your spiritual PTSD will always be with you, but God has a way of dealing with it. I can't erase my past. Listen, some of you in recent months have even wondered. Where in the world did that thought come from? It's been 30 years since I dealt with that feeling. And poof, it's right there. Why? Because you're still dealing with PTSD. It, it, another symptom of PTSD is that you have nightmares or you feel emotionally cut off. Have you ever just... I've, I've felt this in the past few months... Just find me a beach where I can forget my phone in the house. I can set the emails aside and let me just bask in the warmth number 1 but and let me hear the water just hit the shore. Have you ever Can I tell you what that is? PTSD you start thinking about your escape from what you're dealing with. And the reason that you're dealing with that is because of your PTSD. Now don't get depressed, we're gonna get you the answer here in a minute. You become numb or lack interest in things that you used to care about. It's a symptom of PTSD now according to the experts there's really only two treatments for PTSD number one is counseling and through counseling what counseling does is it helps you to understand uh, your thought process and how to deal with that situation counseling Uh, counseling is a good thing don't think that if you need counseling that you can't find it or it makes you a less of a, no 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 it makes you strong enough to get help for what you need the second treatment they called it and i liked how they used this word in i can't remember the website that i was getting some of this information off but i liked the word because it's a biblical term and it was simply this having a mediator counseling and having a mediator a mediator is somebody that helps to carry the load A mediator is the someone that helps to carry the weight of the situation that's with you. A mediator is somebody that, maybe let me put it into 2022 terms, is a sponsor that you can call in the middle of the night. So counseling and a mediator. Now you have to understand the principle of the concept of how the enemy works. The enemy works... By creating doors in your life. And those doors are designed for one of two purposes. It's designed to keep you in something or it's designed to keep you out of something. If he can get you into a room of turmoil, he'll shut the door on you and lock it as quick as you can so that you can't get out of your turmoil. But he'll also keep the door locked so that you can't get into what God has for you. The concept of the door is important to understand because it is the door that's an object that's designed to restrict access to another area. I mean, you think about it. We have these doors in the building. What's it for? It's to separate this room from that room. I want, if I wanted to lock all these doors to keep you in here, then I could do that or I could lock you here so that you don't get out there. And, and do you understand what I'm saying? I believe this. I believe that God has stepped into this day and this service to let you know the right door is getting ready to open and the right door is getting ready to close and that the enemy doesn't have power over the door. And so here's what happens. The devil sets up a door or he sets up an obstacle in our pathway and our flesh grabs a hold of what we see or what we know or what we do and it becomes a stronghold in us. And we begin to war against the stronghold that has taken up residence in us. That's usually what you and I are fighting is the strongholds that the enemy has placed and we have embraced. And when we get these strongholds in us, it's very difficult to bring down the stronghold. Except that 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4, says that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are powerful to this pulling down of strongholds. Now, strongholds, are places in your mind or places in your thinking or places in your perspective, if you will, that locks you up and shuts the door. And you begin to war against that which is inside of you that has either locked you up, that has placed a door, and you begin to operate within the confines of that stronghold. And if you read the next few verses in 2 Corinthians 10, it has everything to do with your thought process. Because if he can get your mind wrapped up, if he can, if he can bring that PTSD to bring your mental faculties to where you're questioning everything. You're doubting everything. You're doubting whether or not this person is doing this and Jesus is doing that and life is doing that and society is doing this and it locks you up and paralyzes you. My friend, you're dealing with PTSD. And what he's doing is he's taking all of the junk of our past and he's placing it there not to try to get you to go back to what you did but to get you to think about what you did. Because a stronghold is literally a mental door that grows in a person's thought that attempts to stop it from progressing to another place. Why can't I grow further? Why am I always dealing with the same thing? Why can't I get over my anger? Why can't I? I'll tell you why. Because the door's been locked and you haven't gotten the door opened yet. And the door is symptomatic, is symptomatic of PTSD. PTSD. Listen, I know some of your stories. I've listened to some of your testimonies. I know some of the abuse that you've been through. I know some of the neglect you've been through. I understand that some of the things that you've had to overcome in your life is traumatic. It wore you down. It freaked you out. It addicted you. It did all kinds of things that caused havoc in your life. And you stepped into the presence of Jesus. And Jesus has set you free. And you are free indeed and you are a new creature in Christ, but you still have a brain. And he messes with the way you think because he understands that the wounds and the scars of your past will get you thinking about the past instead of what God has for you. And it will place a door keeping you from moving into that which God has chosen. And some of us have been hindered from stepping into a brand new anointing and blessing, not because God hasn't prepared it, not because you're not very good, not because you haven't earned it, but simply because you're dealing with your post-traumatic stress in the spirit and you have locked yourself in a place where the enemy has allowed and your flesh has allowed a door to be placed in your pathway. doors discouragement how many have ever been discouraged how many have ever been lonely or miserable or sick or hopeless or helpless those are all doors and see here's what we do here's why post traumatic is so important to understand because here's what we do Now, God wipes us clean, but our brains do something different. So it's easy for us to stand up here and preach, forget the, the past and move forward, get that. But it's hard because we've got brains. And here's what our brains do. I was hurt that way once. I don't want to be hurt that way again. I was manipulated once. I was abused once or several times and I have built up a defense mechanism so that nobody can hurt me any longer. So that nobody can do any more damage to me any longer. I've got to protect myself. Okay? And we build up these walls around us And they're so easy to build, they're so hard to deconstruct. Because what we fail to realize is that the thing that you meant to protect you and build up around you is the thing that has become a stronghold and locked you in a position where God can't get you to where he wants you to be. And what the devil understands is it doesn't matter how airproof you think your protective device is, there's always a leak. You think about all of the man, you think about this building. I wish this building didn't have leaks, but it does. Somewhere. Found out this week we had like a, gallon of water in the bottom of our compressor. Who would have ever thought? Not I. Did you understand what I'm saying? And so what the enemy does is he drops these thoughts wherever he can find a leak in your system. And it doesn't destroy you because the building and the, and the protective around you is so strong and so powerful but he has found the crack where he can just get a thought in. And then when he gets the thought in, our minds just start running 100 miles an hour. But the problem is they start running 100 miles an hour, but we've built up such a fortress around us. It's the reason why the psalmist didn't say, I am my own fortress. He said, you are my fortress. You are my protection. You are my guide. You see, until you're willing to become vulnerable to the Lord, he can't overcome the walls that you've built up, not because he can't knock them down, but he doesn't want to force you into doing something that you don't want to do. And so he's a gentleman standing on the outside of the wall just waiting for you to conquer your defense mechanism because somebody has hurt you in the past. I wish I could go back in a lot of your lives and just demolish who hurt you. I wish I could go back in my life and just take care of the people that neglected or the people that rejected or the people that did something wrong that caused a spiritual or a mental wound in my life that causes me even at the age of 51 to sometimes question, am I doing the right thing? Am I pastoring the right way because of all that I heard through the years? And, and am I doing this and am I doing that? And somewhere along the line, I have to learn to take a step back and say, God, I know that you called me. I know that you changed me. I know that you're molding me. I know I have your spirit leading me. I can only listen into your voice I have to turn over my mindset to you and put my mind and my thoughts captive to you so that only you're speaking to me because otherwise I'm going to put up a defense mechanism you can ask my my wife I hate confrontation I don't know why I don't know if it's a personality thing I don't know if I confronted something when I was younger and just it blew up in my face I just hate doing it So, usually, what I do is I wait. And I wait. And I wait. And then by the time I confront it, it's huge. Yeah, some of you are laughing because you do the same thing. And then I'm knocking down a castle instead of a molehill. That's just me. But what is that? PTSD. Here's the thing. While you're locked in that room, you have to understand that greater is He that is in you than He that is in the world. There is more power and authority in Jesus' pinky finger than there is in anything else in all of creation. In fact, if you will just allow yourself today to step through the door of opportunity into his embrace, you will sense the enormity of who Jesus is compared to the simpleness of who we are. And and we will wonder, why didn't I just do that at the beginning? It would have been much easier. I'll tell you why. Because strongholds are strong for a reason. Because they're in our heads. And our minds can speak things to us that we would never dream having a conversation with people. Is there any wonder that Paul said in Romans, be not transformed or be transformed by the renewing of your mind? Everything starts with the way you think, what goes on. And because PTSD is, for the most part, all mental. I don't mean that in a negative sense. It's mental, it's emotional, and it's reacting to something that may have happened physically, it may have happened spiritually in your past. There are people here today that were hurt by church. They were hurt by people in a church. Let me just tell you, I I want to encourage you to to allow God once again to help you bring down that wall of vulnerability in his presence because it's the church of the living God, the body of Christ in the world. I don't care how negative it may be, there is still the opportunity to be a part of something that's bigger than ourselves, more powerful than ourselves, not because of who I am and not because of who you are, but we are classified according to the word of the Lord as the bride of Christ. We are classified as the building of God fitly framed together we are classified as his residence his temple if you will so how do you overcome PTSD you make a joyful noise unto the Lord all ye lands listen here's the thing I used to teach this because I, I'm still not real confident, but I, I was never really confident in my singing ability. And, uh, and, and what are you laughing at? And so when I was growing up, I was in a boys' quartet, and they kept my mic muted. I'm kidding. They just kept it really low. And you can ask the guys that I was with, Todd Winneke and Dan Wisebrod and Dan Fleming. And... <clears throat> and so when I went to Dover, now you have to understand when, when I say Dover, they have a professional musician, a studio recording artist as the leader of their worship. Her name is Tammy Trout. And about three months into my college existence, I didn't join choir for a reason because I knew that I wasn't going to school for music. I'll leave that to the talented people like my wife. But three months in or four months in, I was on staff, and Tammy calls me into her office, and she says, Tim, we're, we're changing how we do our Sunday service. I said, Okay. She says, you're going to be the song leader. I said, you don't know who I am, do you? She said, no, you're going to be our worship leader. You're the one that's going to get up in the pulpit and you're going to tell them what we're going to sing and then you're going to lead what we're saying and what we're going to do is Sunday morning is going to be Jim DeYoung. And Jim DeYoung plays guitar and he sings and he has all that kind of stuff. And then Sunday night, you're going you're to lead or Rex is going to lead. One of the two of you are going to be worship leaders. To which Rex and I looked at each other and said, yeah, right. She says, you don't need to lead the song. We'll take care of the song, but you just need to lead the worship. And so we would pick out the songs and we would come into the, into the pulpit and we'd say, we're going to sing this. And thank God, as soon as we started singing, it wasn't me, it was Tammy singing. She didn't trust my voice necessarily, but she trusted my worship. And so I would just start singing. It didn't matter whether I was on key or off key because I knew she and the praise team were gonna take care of it. But over the years of doing that, all of a sudden she says, Okay, now you're gonna be a part of the praise team. And so Rex and I began to do that. And then all of a sudden I was doing doing all kinds of things. And and then I get to Kansas City. Don't laugh. And we walk into church, and I joined the choir because I had been a part of the touring corral for Kent Christian College under the direction of Doug Davis and Tammy Trout, and I ran sound and I did all that kind of stuff with the corral. We did recordings. They actually, actually, believe it or not, in one case they went back and did some redubs and stuff, and I was one of the voices on the read. You couldn't hear me, but I was there. And so we get to Kansas City and Pam Blasek is the choir director and the music, she goes, we're going to sing this song. I know you've heard it because I heard it on your Kent Cape. And I want you and Trish to do the duet. I said, you don't know who I am, do you? I was forced, I did it. I butchered it. The guy that sang it in college, Joel, he did a much, much better job. Pam never asked me to do it again. She said, you just stay in the choir or go to the sound booth. I said that to say this, I would use this passage as an excuse. You don't have to sound good to make a noise. You can be off-key to making noise. As long as it's joyful. But here's the thing. Do you want to know what that phrase means? You see, we think because it's part of the Psalms... It's part of the songs, that there's a melody to it, that a joyful noise is the singing of the, the, the four-part harmony. It, it's, the, it's the glorious tune of the singers together. Can I tell you what joyful noise means in the Hebrew? It means this, a shouted war cry. So when you start thinking wrong... When you start doing something in your brain that brings up something of the past, the psalmist is saying, it's time for you to put your shoulders back, to lift your head, and to make a shouted war cry to Jesus. Can I just tell you, it doesn't matter whether you're in the car. I'm telling you, there's people that have driven by me that wonder what I am on, what I'm doing, because in the car, my hand is gone. I'm shouting. I don't do it with my family. I'd freak them out. But I do it when I'm by myself, and I'm shouting, hallelujah, and I'm shouting, devil, you have no place, and I'm shouting, devil, take your hands off, SGC. I'm going crazy in the car. You can do it in your bedroom. You can do it in the shower. Do it in the shower and raise the radio real high, and nobody will where whether it's you or the radio, just make a noise unto the Lord that says I am going to take control of the situation. I told you that I enjoyed history. Do you know that all warfare that used to be handheld until really post-Civil War, one of the first things that any army did was they gave a war cry. In the Civil War, it was the rebels' yell. In the days of Jehoshaphat, you want to know who went in front of the army? The singers. They got to get shot at first. Why? Because it was their war cry that was shaking the foundation of their enemy. Have you ever read the story of Jericho? On the seventh time around, they began to shout unto God and the walls came tumbling down and when they came tumbling down, the Jericho people battled themselves. Have you ever seen where Jehoshaphat led the choir out and because the choir began to sing and to worship and to make a joyful noise with a shouted war cry that the the Bible says the Lord set up ambushments? And the Israelites didn't even have to do battle? My friend, you don't have to fight. It's the Lord's battle. All you need to do is shout unto God with the voice of triumph. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord. And when you make that joyful noise, the walls that you have built up begin to shake and tremble. And your PTSD doesn't know what to do with it. Serve the Lord with gladness. Can I tell you that most of our problems is because we stop serving? You know, Paul mentioned it a little bit differently than that. He said we get used to what God has blessed us with until God brings us back to the 50 pieces. Can I just tell you that when you're fighting the most is when you need to serve the most. Well, how do I serve the Lord? Do I come to church? Do I read my Bible? Do I pray? No, you serve people. Jesus said it this way when you gave clothes to the naked you clothed me, when you gave food to the hungry you fed me, when you you gave warmth to the cold you've given me warmth when you do it unto others you're doing it unto me what does that mean? that means when I walk into the church, when I'm struggling, when I'm fighting, I look for somebody to go up and give them a handshake and a hug and say I'm right there with you, I appreciate you being here, I want to edify you today, I want to bless you today, I want to, is there any Thing I can pray with you about this week? Do you need anything? What can I do to help? Give me a phone call, give me a, a, an email, do something, just let me know, I want to serve. And as you do that, you will find that that thinking starts rearranging and that thinking starts being transformed and those negative thoughts become captive to Christ because Christ was all about serving. I didn't come to serve or to be served, I came to serve is what he said. Serve the Lord with gladness. Do you want to know how you can serve with gladness? Don't look at the person. Look at the the Lord behind the person. Come into his presence with singing. Have you ever wondered why we open our worship service with praise and singing? Because to do so otherwise would be backwards. There is something. Now, you say, well, we don't do that in Sunday school. Oh, not as a whole we don't, but there's an hour of singing before you get here on Sunday school. And you can call it rehearsal all you want, but as they're going through the songs, they are unlocking the door of his presence. So when our adult Sunday school teacher begins to teach, the atmosphere has already been regulated. That's why we sing We had a church growth consultant that tried to minimize. You can go 13 minutes and no more. We just about fell out of our seat. You don't know me. Sometimes it's 20. Sometimes it's 25. Sometimes God begins to move. And and, and are we just doing it through the mo? No. The atmosphere is changing when we begin to sing. Come into his presence with singing. If you're not going to come with singing, you're not going to get very far in his presence. That's why we have praise teams. We don't have praise teams so that we have some good music and that we can blend voices, and it's not just one voice that's up here, and it's not just one set of music, and it's not just the... We do it because what's happening is it's setting the atmosphere for the presence of God to be available to you and I. Then it says, know that the Lord, he is God. That word know means to perceive through experience. This isn't head knowledge. This isn't, I read a book about God. This is simply this I have experienced Him, so I know Him that He is God. My friend, whether you understand it or not, when you come into an experience with Jesus, you are coming into an experience that will tell you He's in control. He's got all things in order. No matter how chaotic it may seem around us, no matter how things may seem to be falling apart, don't let Let the enemy sneak that voice past your defense mechanism saying that you're not good, you're not worth it, everything's coming apart, you're not ready for the rapture, you're not ready for this, forget all about that. Turn your eyes unto him, begin to give a shout, begin to sing unto God, and begin to experience the presence of God so that you know beyond the shadow of a doubt that he is real. If you're here today and God has not been real to you, You have the opportunity today to find out. He made us. We are His. Listen, we don't understand that enough. We think I make the decisions, or she makes the decisions. I agree with her decisions. I'm teasing. Individually, we think we're in control. It's my job. It's my car. It's my paycheck. It's my house. It's my, my, listen, none of it's ours. None of it is ours. Your bank account is not yours. Your IRA is not yours. Your 401K is not yours. You think you earned a paycheck, but you didn't. You just worked. God released the funds. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Know the Lord that he is God. We are not our own. We are not, we are his. His. And if we really think about it, then why do we have to have a defense mechanism in the first place? Look at the joker and say, I don't care what you say about me. I'm not my own anyhow. I'm all his, and he doesn't do junk. I'm his. I'm his. He is who owns me. So I don't care what anybody says if I'm doing what Jesus wants me to do. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Notice this. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving. Mm, mmm, mmm. You want a door to open? Don't beat it down. Don't try to pick the lock. Don't take a bazooka to it. All you got to do to open the door, Jesus, I thank you. I don't know what's going on in my brain right now, but I thank you that you're who you are. I'm thankful, God, that you love me. I'm thankful, God, that you see beyond my existence to know what's best for me. I'm thankful, God, that you have embraced me. I thank you, Lord, for your grace and your mercy, your love. I'm thankful, Lord, for the opportunity to be a part of your kingdom. I'm thankful, Lord, to sit at your table and partake of the goodness of God. I'm thankful, God, when you begin to have thanksgiving in your heart, all of a sudden you're going to hear a... Mm? and the door is going to be open And your PTSD is going to be unlocked and you are going to step into the atmosphere of the holy and you're going to put your feet on holy ground that we sang about earlier today and you're going to step into the presence of almighty God and all of the troubles of life while you're in that room. And here's the thing, when you get to the other side of the door, you can look at God and say, okay, Lord, you can close it. Now I'm going to stay right here in your presence. I'm never going back there. Thanksgiving. Into his courts with praise. Can I tell you what the courts are? The courts are simply the settled abode of God. The settled abode of God. How do you get into the settled abode of God, the presence of God? Praise doesn't say worship here, it says praise. Praise is when you just adore him for what he is. Worship is the connect between you and him. Praise has nothing to do with you, it's just all about him. I praise you. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. I praise you because you own the heavens and the earth. I praise you because the earth and the, uh, the, the seas and the stars obey your command. The sun and the moon obey your command. You hold all things in your hand. Uh, you've got everything in control. I praise you. I adore you. I lift you. And what happens? You start getting settled. Yeah, your body may be more come more active and your emotions may become more active, but you are settling into the presence of Almighty God. And then I want to just finish this. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. The word bless seems to kneel before. Kneel before. Spiritually, physically. I'm in your presence, God. I'm nothing but your everything for the Lord is good his steadfast love endures forever his faithfulness to all generations